electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll be my friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right. All right. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this endless parlor game where we guess whether or not we're in a recession or how deep the recession will be. It's become endemic, even on good days like today, where the Dow gained 184 points. Dow S&P advanced 0.75%. Nasdaq jumped 1.13%. In fact, recession speculation is the one universal that binds everybody, from analysts to commentators to home gamers. We just can't seem to help ourselves. All I can say is that if you want to make something self-fulfilling, then keep talking about it morning, noon, and night. Even if it's not inevitable, the relentless recession chatter might make it inevitable. So I'm not playing that parlor game. No, I'm not just whistling past the graveyard either. I realize we got that inverted yield curve where the short rates are higher than long rates. I can read. I know that's a real bad sign for the economy, although I point out that the inverted yield curve has indeed called 12 of the last six recessions. I expect the Fed to talk tough next week. That's what they do. It's entirely possible this overheated economy could derail, crashing into a gigantic retaining wall at 90 miles an hour. But how about this? How about this? I'm starting to see things another way. See, it's also possible that the Fed hunkers down because they recognize that we're all so scared by the CEOs. We hear the doom and gloom is palpable, and it might be enough to put a big enough dent in spending and into our psychology to let the Fed beat inflation without destroying the whole economy. Pollyanna, listen to me. Basically, the Fed doesn't have to bring the pain if we inflict the pain on ourselves. And I think that's exactly what we're doing. I am not saying this. 
House of Pleasure. I am saying that this could be wrong. They know nothing! Where do I see it happening? Better to ask where I do not, because it's everywhere. You just got to open your eyes and see it. Let's tackle them one by one. First, there's a widespread belief that food prices have soared and are never, ever going to come down, right? But, you know, we had Wingstop on the week, uh, earlier in the week, and the CEO emphasized that they're cleaning up. Why? Because chicken wing prices have plummeted. And it's not just chicken. And by the way, the rest of the chicken, it's not just the wings. The whole chicken goes with the wings, and it's plummeted. We've now seen a collapse, by the way. Here's one you haven't heard, but I, I, I know you haven't heard. Do you know that wheat prices collapse? Do you know that it's at 14-month lows? Do you know it's 9% lower than the end of November? Do you know that there's actually a glut of wheat in Russia? Wasn't that supposed to be where the shortage was coming from? And they got the glut? You could say that, that oh, wait a second, that's just wheat, and that's just chicken. Oh, no! You're being way too glib. Wheat and chicken are huge. Plus, remember the thing called the substitution effect? You might have missed that class. I didn't. You don't need to pay up for beef if chicken's coming down in price. That will quickly lead to a glut in cattle. Wheat's an even bigger deal. Too much wheat leads to gluts in all the other grains, too. These are meaningful moves, people, that are being completely overlooked by the bears, the bears who are trying to scare us, the bears who have the microphones, the bears who would let us think that, you know what? Yeah, they believe the Fed has to run us over, throw the card in reverse, and then run us over again. Hey, speaking of running people over, you seen autos? All right, so used ones. But listen to me. Not that long ago, the electric vehicle companies raised massive amounts of money. Get this. Now, some of those, the EV kinds, are starting to turn into real cars, real functioning companies with assembly lines that are producing things. While most of them had horrendous problems going to market, do you know that they're finally coming out? We're going to have more, we're going to have Fiskers and Lucids and Rivians galore at this point next year. So you better believe the price of EV is coming down, maybe way down. Then there's oil and gas. No one's looking at this. All they talk about, oh my God, I spent this much at the pump. Will you wake up, please? Have you seen this? It totally collapsed. When oil broke out above 100 earlier this year, we heard endlessly that it was headed straight to $150 a barrel. If you remember this, you might want to get your head checked. It's kind of like getting your oil checked. They still do that, right? They got the, they got rid of carburetors, you know. Anyway, now oil's come down to 71. And if the oil stocks are telling the truth, which they certainly are, we're soon going to see gasoline at $3 per gallon. Of course, while, when, while soaring prices at the pump make for a sexy story, falling prices at the pump is incredibly boring. Dog bites man, kind of, you know what I mean? But I find it hard to get too worked up about inflation with the price of gasoline plummeting. That silly spike this morning off a nasty pipeline spill didn't last past midday. That's how much oil there is. Oh, my God. Look, it's everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Thank heavens. I think it looks 60-ish to me. Heating oil was supposed to be off the charts expensive, making it hard for people to make ends meet. Now, though, the stocks are trading like natural gas is on a collision course where, where it was as low as last year. Maybe the bears just choose not to notice, okay? But maybe the Fed will. More importantly, in the last month, so many of the CEOs I talked to have told me that it's no longer difficult to find workers in a complete panoply of industries. Many people are coming back to the office because their benefits are exhausted. Others just need to pay off expensive rent or debts they accumulated over the past few years. Jobs are finally being filled across the whole skin of the economy, 
even as we're constantly being told that wages kept being bid up. What a narrative that I'm sick of. If the labor shortage goes away, so will the most difficult part of inflation, wage inflation. All right, how about these used cars? They've been the bane of the consumer price index because their prices just, just kept going higher and higher. But do you know how they peaked months ago? Do you know now the price of an average used car is actually in free fall? Well below where it was 12 months ago, and those year-over-year declines are just getting larger. Plus, it looks like this Carvana might be in danger of going under. If that's true, we could be looking at a used car glut in a matter of days, as they are a vast repository of once new cars over there at the Carvana. All right, how about housing? All right, 10% of the economy, and it's already become problematic for buying for most home buyers who can't afford to keep up with radical insurance and increase in mortgage rates. But unless you're in the business of real estate, you might not recognize that the current slowdown in the pace of sales will lead to a cascade of price cutting. That's how every real estate down cycle has played out in the past. Housing peaks are a little weird because the process of buying and selling real estate is a big production. In every downturn I've seen, first you get that freeze where transactions stop happening. That's right now. Then after months of this, the sellers finally break their discipline and they start cutting prices, leading to a collapse practically overnight. Do you know what I think we're on the we're on the cusp of that right now. There are other gluts all over the place. I mean, you can see them from ads, the decline in PC prices, their components, or I don't know. I mean, you're luck probably not a member of Ollie's Army, and I get that. There's only about 30 million of us, but we're strong. And we just got our flyers today. I'm starting to see discounts, not just in appliances, which are coming down big time. But get this, toys galore. And even, despite the upgrade in Hershey's today, candy, bottom line. You can say these are all one-off. Go ahead. Go dismiss me as anecdotal, not empirical. But to me, the writing's already on the wall. It doesn't have to be a recession. The economy just needs to stabilize at a lower level, which I think is already starting to happen. This is the winning hand that nobody playing the recession parlor game seems willing to acknowledge, even as I bet it's become the most likely outcome. Mark, you watch your mark. Hey, Jim. Greetings from Spokane, Washington. Love Spokane. Been there many times. It's dynamite. What's up? Yeah, all right. Next time you're in town, give me a call up dinner. I'll give you a jingle. What's happening? Uh, Jim, despite supply chain disruptions and inflationary pressures, Snap-on still reported decent Q3 earnings pretty much across the board. And given its premium pricing, I'd be interested in hearing your current thoughts on SNA as we head into 2023. All right, here's it. I got this. I got it. I got it. I got it. It sells at $14. There was a group of short sellers who ganged up on this thing endlessly, and they kept it down. And they've been busted. And that's why the stock's going hard. Listen to me. It doesn't have to end in a recession. The economy just needs to stabilize at a lower level, which I think is already starting to happen. On Mad Money Tonight, an interview you don't want to miss some tough questions for Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff. Have there been major defections of customers, major defections of shareholders because of the publicity involved with, with, with Brett's departure and with the departure of others' executives? Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's been a rough week for Salesforce. Though the company reported a solid quarter last week, it was all overshadowed by news that co-CEO Brett Taylor's leaving. Big surprise. And we keep hearing more about grumblings about executive turnover. Meanwhile, the stock, I mean, it has just been slammed. Although we just spoke with Salesforce last week, I wanted to circle back on this one. And today we got a good chance to check in with Mark Benioff, the co-founder, chair, and co-CEO of Salesforce, which my Chapel Trust owns, he was in town for his Salesforce World Tour. Take a look. Mark, I am at this Jim, fabulous welcome. gathering. Thank you. And Can you believe this, Jim? World Tour, it's our biggest world tour ever in New York City. And I'm thrilled for you. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer And we're happy everyone's back together. Look at that. No masks. But how about we deal with some of these issues? Sure. Get them past us. For people like me, my travel trust, it's a shareholder. We're going to deal with the issues that people of the day, talk of the day. And we're going to start with tensions grow at Salesforce between co-CEOs Benioff and Taylor ahead of leadership change. Has this, this article, first, is it true? And second, has it impacted any of your customers? Well, Jim, you know, we talked about this the last time we were together. I'm so grateful for Brett. You know how much I deeply love him. And, but and, he's not here. And Stuart, too. And, but Brett's you know, so not many. He's not here. That's the sad part. But you know what? Let me tell you what is exciting. What's exciting to me is that we're able to have all these great customers and also we're introducing this amazing new data cloud today. That is what is exciting. Well, it's that exciting. we're moving forward 
with new products, new technology, we're executing in our fourth quarter. This is what's really powerful but and exciting. But what's terrific would be to put past things so that you wouldn't have to speak to them again. That's why I'm going to ask, some people are saying that you have difficulty working with co-CEOs, Keith Block, whom you introduced me to many years ago, and then subsequently Brett Taylor. And that because of this, we have to question the, whether the company is functioning as best as it can. Well, I love both of them, you know that. I'm yes, so grateful to both of them. And, you know, you, we just had a great quarter. You saw, and we almost had $8 billion in revenue, our highest operating margin ever at 22.7%. Jim, I think you remember when I first came on your show, operating margin was 10% and right. revenue was less right. than a billion. And it's now been you a 30X since then. Okay. We could run all of those. But the reality, Jim, is we have a lot of great people in this company. We always have. And we have a great management team. We have got 80,000 great employees. And we have all these great customers. And that's the magic that makes Salesforce. Okay, Salesforce. well, are, the, are some of the customers being uh, questioning the, the company as there are stockholders? Even my own team this morning on Squawk in the Street saying, Jim, look at this chart. Look at how poorly this stock has performed. Why are you standing by it? I said, well, I've liked it since $8. But they're questioning, saying, look, maybe the company is a change company. Maybe it is in disarray because of the departures. Maybe that's what Starboard's concerned about. These are questions that we can answer once and for all. And then you can say, Jim Cramer asked me all those, and we're done with that. Well, it's the fastest growing enterprise software company of all time. But we it just hit a record operating margin. It has phenomenal customer demand. It has the best products in the industry. It has the best management team. And by the way, the profitability, I mean, look, and I have two goals. Okay. Okay, you know, I'm planning for this to be the second largest software company in the world. And that, will you and run it? Will you run it? Or you now I'm lost? I'm running it right now. I'll run it forever if well, I have Well, a lot to. of people felt Brett Taylor, 10 years younger than I've you, he would be it, a success. I've been running it for 24 years, okay. you know that. And Jim. Not only, look, my plan is, I want to be the second largest software company in the world. I want to be the most profitable well, software in, company in the revenue, world. In revenue, in earnings, or in market cap? Because remember, you're a Dow stock. Well, Stock's been cut all, in half from November of last year. We want to be the largest in the world, second largest in the world, probably going to be hard to beat Microsoft. They're quite a bit larger. And we want to be the most profitable company as well. Well, then it sounds like to me, that the story about the vast number of departures could indeed be overblown, and there may actually be, underneath this so-called rubble, a stock worth owning. 19% revenue growth in constant currency this quarter. Look, we but have two all... years ago, you were similar. I mean, you've had, there's not the growth trajectory, but that could be macro headwinds, or some people are saying, well, it's because oh, of the turnover. Look, the Jim, turnover. Since April. First, we saw the currencies in April. Remember, you were we the got first on, we had it? the famous quote, we said, we had a great quarter in Q1, but the, the US dollar had a better quarter. Right. That was our first thing. Then the second quarter, we came in and said, you know, seems to us like there's a more measured buying environment. There are some things going on. We talked to, look, I'm talking to customers every day. And then the third thing we saw in the third quarter was a more measured environment. And we realized that CEOs are kind of buckling down they kind of saw there's a storm ahead, they're not sure, the stocks are down, you know, we're not the only stock down. But the market you're, you is are down. buying your stock because it's down. Now, is that, believe, is that because you believe when we come out of this period, we will look back and say, you know what, 
You were in touch with your customers the whole time. You knew that things were better. You knew that things were overblown in the media. That stories about you and and and, all, and one more thing. It's also reducing dilution, making it better for shareholders, because shareholders want to have less dilution. That's one key reason why you want to go and buy okay, stock. Okay, now when you were thinking about buying Twitter, there were shareholders who were angry. Are any of those oh shareholders gosh, come to you? Oh my gosh, going back like a decade. Well, because you see, I'm also a rigorous journalist besides just being to, someone I who's to, here to say I like Salesforce. I listen to my shareholders. My and shareholders how, are large shareholders. Are they comfortable with what they've been reading and the departures? Nobody ever likes change, including me. Right. You know that, that's right. the nature of the market. But the reality is things have to change, and sometimes only the constant is change, because when you're an innovative, fast-growing company, and you're attracting all this amazing talent, including a lot of young people, young people can make different types of decisions, but you have to be able to let them go on. All right, so the large banks have, you digitized the large banks. Oh my God, I was so, with Brian Moynihan yesterday. Did Brian say, amazing. I'm worried we about have, what happened with Brett Taylor? Did he say that? No, Brian and I have known each other for multiple no, I'm, decades. I'm, I'm trying to be. I'm just saying, yeah. No, look at Jim Farley. What? He called you about these. Let me things. tell you why Brian Moynihan is standard. I saw in Salesforce okay. at the Bank of America. First, we did Merrill Lynch. You know that. Yes, I do. Now you, we've done the corporate book, bank. In your book, you're very, uh, very honest about the travails and then the success of that story. The investment bank. You know, we're we're now their CRM standard. Really important. Also, I had a great meeting with Charlie Wells. I was to a Steve nice. at Amex. We're their CRM standard. That's the most important thing, the customers. By the way, it's why I love coming to New York. All the customers are here. And you do know. the customers like Genie? Are they saying, you know what, is Ford oh, liking wow, Genie? Wow, How wow. does Jim Farley use Genie yeah. to triumph? Jim, this is a miracle. Customers for years have said to us, you got killer apps, sales cloud, service cloud, marketing commerce platform. You've got an amazing platform to customize these apps, build vertical apps like the financial services cloud, healthcare cloud, consumer product goods cloud, seven clouds all communications cloud. Okay. But we've never had a lake house, which is like a place where you store all your data, a data cloud, like a data warehouse. Like built what Frank Slipman, the, like the man you introduced oh, yeah. me to, like Frank Slipman like Snowflake. Right. Well, our, our lake house or our data cloud, it actually will mirror with Snowflake. So you hit a switch and it can keep a mirror with it. But our customers also like to keep a lot of our data in Salesforce. All right, so, so Formula yes, they One, which is run by a, tech, over a technology person, how does Formula One use Genie to be able to make it so that wherever they are, they sell out and they're beloved? Well, the really cool thing is before, Formula One had to have a separate data warehouse. They, they had all of the Salesforce Not, information, sales service Where marketing. was it located? Somewhere off off. It's your, a whole different team, a okay. whole different type of so technology. So duplication, more expense. And then, but because we have Tableau, we've taken Tableau. You know, the mistake that Tableau made originally and why, when they were an independent company. When with, with that? They were, they had a great product. Right. A client, a visualizer. But what they didn't have, Jim, was a server, a place to store all the data. They let everyone else be the data warehouse or database or, or data where for Tableau or data cloud. Now, Tableau has a data cloud. It's built integrated into Salesforce. So, so are Salesforce you getting new customers who would not, would, otherwise did not find this attractive? Are you getting them now? Is that what some of this is? I think that this is our most exciting moment because we have the apps, we have the platform, we have 
the vertical apps, which are all our biggest seller of this quarter is everybody wants faster time to value. They, we also have Tableau, MuleSoft, Slack, and Jim, look, we're at a time when people want to save money. They want to deploy this technology well, quickly, are, right, and well, they want to go. And you've been to a lot of these world tours. Have you ever seen a bigger world tour than no, this? No, I've not. But let Again, me ask what, you. How, does he, how do you read this you, energy, has, Maybe, perhaps, there are some departures that might be uh, people who didn't buy the vision. What's that? They didn't buy the vision that you taught me. You mean our competitors? No, I'm saying that there are people who might have worked, worked with you who didn't see what you and I are seeing. Well, I say I because I've been a customer. I think that it's amazing when you look at Salesforce over 24 years that we've become the number one CRM, that we're going to do 31 billion in revenue this year, you know, that we did the 22.7% yeah, margin. Remaining performance obligation. Strong cash flow, $40 billion in RPO. Which is one third That's revenue that we've already cap. signed from these folks that hasn't been recognized. But ultimately, it's in the eyes and hearts and minds of all of these people that they've got a lot to do in their businesses because, look, our economy, it's not perfect. Right. We all know that. But when it recovers, the most important thing, Jim, is that you hold on to your customers because then it's your customers that will grow with you. The number one mistake that companies make in this type of situation is to disinvest in their customers or disinvest in their distribution organizations. Right. Don't do that. You need to grow expand and get ready to pivot for when the economy grows. All right, then let's go over this one more time so you'll never be have to, you can just say, I said it to Jim Cramer, have there been major defections of customers, major defections of shareholders because of the publicity involved with, with, with Brett's departure and with the departure of other executives? Our, our customer attrition is at a record low. <laughs> and shareholders. And our customer satisfaction is at a record high. And look, this is just is what it is. You know, people come and people go. But the most important thing is the success of the customers, the, the greatness of the products and the technology, and also that we operate with our core values. Trust, customer success, innovation, equality, sustainability. Since 1999, our company has been built on a bedrock of core values that we execute through, through and through and through. And that is what has kept us going. No and one else has anything like that. this is what shareholders need need to hear. I'm a share, my trust is a shareholder. And this is I'm what- I'm a shareholder too. Right, but this is what does matter. What matters is that we're building a great company on great values with great products and great customers and a great management team as well. And those are the five things to build a great company for the future, and that's what we have. Thank you, Mark Benioff. Jim Kramer, Chairman, I always oh, love being with you. CEO. I was so happy to come and see this great world tour. Thank you Thank for you being here. Much. You're the best. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself.
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. At this point, everybody recognizes the flash in the pan COVID stocks. Zoom Video, Peloton, DocuSign, Roku. They rallied hard during the worst part of the pandemic, then came crashing down to earth for over a year now. They've been sort of some of the worst performers out there. Although, hey, how about this? DocuSign this very evening reported a fantastic number, and it's starting to look up. But it is on its own in this group. But there's also another whole group, another whole group of COVID winners that have seen their stocks bottom in recent months and then started making incredibly meaningful rallies. Nobody's talking about them. They don't get much attention. Too much rubbernecking. Everyone wants to stare at the ongoing disasters. They don't want to focus on the opportunities. That's not the mad money way. Those stories are real, okay? And let's go through them. That's why tonight we are highlighting some of the real comeback kids, especially the ones in the e-commerce space, because there are a surprising number of recent winners clustered in that abandoned group. They're not getting the attention they deserve, and I'm talking Etsy. I'm talking Shopify, Pinterest, Mercado Libre. After spending most of the year in the house of pain, all four of these digital names have come roaring back in recent months, and I wouldn't be surprised if these comeback kids don't have even more room to run. Let's take them one by one, starting with Kramer Fave Etsy. Yes, down the block from a Brooklyn-based online marketplace for all sorts of handmade goods. What a fantastic place to shop for the holidays because it's all handmade. Not too long ago, Etsy was written off as yet another COVID play that saw its sales get a big boost during the worst phase of the pandemic. Remember the mask thing? Only to have business fall off a cliff as the world went back to normal. Here's a stock that soared from under 30 in March of 2020. So you go back here, okay? And then all the way up to 307 at its peak a little over a year ago, when so many of the high-growth stocks peaked, okay? Then Etsy gave back nearly the entirety of the move, plumbing to $67 at its lows in mid-June, all right, giving it up. Wow, look at that decline, okay? The stock tried to rally over the summer, uh, but then the rally fizzled around 120 in August, uh, along with the rest of the market. Fast forward to mid-October, all the major averages were setting new lows, but not Etsy. And that was the tell that you needed. It only pulled back to 87 early last month. Since then, it's caught fire, surging all the way to 142 intraday on Monday. I don't know if you saw them today. Josh Silverman was on uh, with Sarah. And it was just, I, I thought it was very dynamic. This thing has pulled back to 134.50 after the market-wide sell-off this week. Still, at this point, the stock has more than doubled from its lows over the summer. And it's up more than 50% since early November. Of course, Etsy's nowhere near where it was trading at the peak last year, though. But that's still a pretty darn convincing rebound. Look at that run, huh? All right, when you look at the numbers, it makes perfect sense. Etsy's now turning two excellent quarters in a row. Early last month, they posted a nice top and bottom line beat with 12% revenue growth. I like double digit. That's a nice acceleration. And back at one time, items like this big $1 billion impairment charge they took on their acquisitions that I did not like at the time. 
Depop and ELO7, that's the Brazilian Etsy, you end up with a 21-cent earnings beat off of 37-cent basis, which they hadn't done those deals. Even better, management gave very bullish guidance for the current quarter. The stock's been a juggernaut since then, and I think it's a big part of that is because Etsy's put Wall Street's biggest concerns to rest. The main worry here was that as the world went back to normal, Etsy sellers would give up their passion project businesses and go back to their old jobs. That has simply not happened. Etsy has 7.7 million active sellers in the first quarter, and it's only pulled back to 7.4 million active sellers in the most recent quarter. That There was a dip, but not a huge one. And sometimes when you think about, like, where did people, you ask people, did they go back to work? How come people have gone to work? A lot of people have gone to Etsy and really demonstrated that they have a craft, and that craft can uh, make it so that they can live. I love that. Second worry, tons of these e-commerce companies seem to believe that COVID-era numbers were a permanent boost, not a one-time thing. Etsy was never one of those companies. They knew it was temporary, and they took action to make sure they keep putting up good numbers. They really understood it. For example, raising their service fees, which, which is just how they gave you 12% revenue growth this past quarter. Very little resistance to that, by the way. Finally, it helps that Etsy's been profitable this entire time. While it was overvalued at the peak last year, the stock's gotten a lot cheaper on the way down. Although it's still very far from value play, it's not crazy expensive. It's roughly 45 times earnings. If you called in on a lightning round, I might say, ah, outer limits of what I pay, but still within the limits. Plus, next year, the company will have put the rough COVID-era comparisons behind it, which should give Etsy much stronger growth year over year. Next up, how about one that is so controversial, even today? I'm talking Shopify, the e-commerce enabler for small and medium-sized businesses, Canadian company. This thing had a huge run thanks to COVID, as practically every small business had to build a digital operation to stay afloat, right? Which is how Shopify rallied from $30 in March of 2020 to $176 at its peak in last November. Remember, everything peaked in November. Of course, then it gave back entire, you know, the entire game. I mean, bingo, right? Uh, plunging all the way to $30. Uh, in June, then sinking to 23 in mid-October. That's awful. Uh, where it finally bottomed. When it got down here, I remember thinking there were companies that thought that like an Adobe would come in and buy them up here. Now look at this. It's all the way down here. In the last couple of months, those Shopify should charge back to 39 for 65% gain. So what's fueling this move? First, got to understand Shopify reported a horribly disappointing quarter in May, and they kept spending like a drunken sailor to boost revenue growth at the expense of profitability. The last thing Wall Street wants to see in this environment but eventually, Shopify got religion. In July, they announced layoffs making up 10% of their workforce. Management admitted they got it wrong and decided to recalibrate. Yes, that's what we're looking for. So when Shopify reported its most recent numbers in October, they looked a lot better with, uh, with basically in-line revenue, but a smaller-than-expected earnings loss. More important, last Tuesday, they released some Black Friday stats, and these numbers were pretty good, including sales up 90% year-over-year. Nice growth. Of course, Shopify's not yet profitable. <laughs> it bothers me. So it's still hard to value and inherently risky. The stock just got hit with a sell rating from UBS this very morning. They're slapping it with a $30 price target. UBS doesn't believe these guys have gotten religion on spending. I disagree. I think Shopify now understands the need for profitable growth, and I really like those Black Friday numbers. To me, Shopify is another one of those companies that's where it's really dawning on them all right, Wall Street wants us to make money. We'll go do it. What else? Last time we spoke to one, I, I kind of was blown away. Well, I don't know if you, got, if you felt the same way. Pinterest. That's the online image board play that's moving from an advertising-based model to a more com- commerce-centric one. 
I don't want to go into too much detail here because we just spoke to new CEO Bill Reddy last night, but he's doing a good job of putting up solid numbers. I like that he's cooperating with a very smart activist at Elliott Management. I think Pinterest shift from advertising to e-commerce could be a big story next year. Finally, let's not forget about Mercado Libre. That's the Uruguay-based company. That's basically the Amazon of South America. This thing was a huge winner in 2020, 2020 and 2021, peaking at 2020 early last year for plummeting to $600 and change in its lows this June. Since then, it's rebounded to just under 900. Why? Because Mercado Libre has been putting up great numbers in the most recent quarter. They delivered 60-60% revenue growth, 33% earnings growth. This is not a company that's struggling. This is a great long-term growth story. It has been since I invested in it when I was at my hedge fund management where I was, I was one of the original investors, and I'm proud of that. The only problem is it ain't cheap. Trading at 65 times next year's earnings estimates. Still, I like Ricardo Libre and think it's worth buying. Let's put it on a pullback, okay? Bottom line, most of the COVID stocks are still in the doghouse where they belong. Thank heavens, DocuSign might be out of it. But some of them have started making real comebacks. I think they got more room to run. And in particular, I like Etsy and, more importantly, Pinterest. And I think the latter is a buy right here, right now. Let's go to Tom in Illinois. Tom. Jim, thanks for taking my call. No problem. What's up, Tom? Um, I own shares of Amazon, and the critics have been pretty tough on it for the last couple of months. I wonder what your take on it is. Oh, first of all, you're absolutely right. Uh, they are been incredibly tough. It's down 45%. My Chapel Trust has a nice size position. We did take a lot of profits. I will tell you this. Amazon is run by a guy named Andy Chassie, and I think that he's going to rationalize the table of employment and make it so that the revenues are uh, not going to be exceeded by the S and by the expenses. So I think buying Amazon here is a lot better idea than selling it. That's my advice, Tom. Thank you for the call. Now, look, some COVID stocks deserve to be in the doghouse, but some of them are making very exciting comebacks and got some room to run, especially, I think, Etsy. And to buy right now is Pinterest. Much more we have money, including my exclusive one that we haven't had on before. It's called Project. After a short report shared some concerns about credit risk, I'm finding out the real story from the company CEO. Then I read last night's conference call uh, out of uh, GameStop, and I, I have one word to describe it. Uh, why not? I'll tell you what. I'll reveal it uh, when we get to it. And then we got oh, all your calls rapid fire tonight. This is the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. bear market, we're always on the lookout for new ideas here. And recently, we've been hearing a lot about a company called Progeny, P-R-O-G-Y-N-Y, which came public just over three years ago. This is a fertility benefits management play. Employers contract with them to handle fertility and family building solutions, just like a regular health insurance provider. In a tight job market, this kind of thing can really help businesses recruit the best people. We actually recommended Progeny around 20 bucks back in November of 2019, but then the pandemic hit and never circled back to it. We should have. Stock surged to $68 at its highs last year, for pulling back hard in 2022. And it's now back to $32 and change. Now, some of that's because Wall Street turned against growth stocks, and some of it's because we're worried about a softer labor market as the Fed keeps slamming the darn brakes on the economy. You know what? Still, maybe it's worth taking a chance on this one, given that it's still down more than 50% from its peak. And that's why earlier today I sat down with Pete Adnevsky, he is the CEO of Progeny to get a better read on his business. Take a look. 
Mr. Nevsky, welcome to Mad Money. Uh, thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me so much. Uh, big fan of the show. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Uh, this, is, this is your first visit to Mad Money. So if you don't mind, I'd like you to just kind of tell us how progeny benefits work. Sure. Um, fertility treatments are complicated um, and the journey going through them is complicated. So what we've done is we put together a design that has three components. One, when uh, a member utilizes their benefit, they get assigned a dedicated patient care advocate. That advocate helps them navigate the journey, which is complicated. Our plan design is very flexible in order to be able to handle all those complicated journeys. And I bring that up because traditional health plans, which is the alternative to progeny, are a one-size-fits-all health plan. And the last piece that we have is we have a proprietary network, and that proprietary network um, we work with to make sure that they're complying with best practices, all of which drive superior clinical outcomes, which we've been achieving for seven years in a row. And we're the only fertility benefits provider in the U.S. that publishes their uh, outcomes. Well, that has clearly helped you because I'm looking at your growth, uh, 282 clients, so up 50% from the 188 clients that you had at the end of September of 2021, growing up, you anticipate 370 clients. And these, by the way, are not small clients. A lot of these are companies we've heard of, correct? Uh, correct, correct. They're, they're, they're in uh, 40 different industries. Um, companies that, that you would have heard of as an example would be Nike, University of Texas, um, Target, uh, et cetera. There, there are many, many companies that you would have heard of. Um, they're all, when we count uh, our companies, they're 1,000 employees or more. Um, and next year, those 370 clients will represent 5.4 million lives. Um, and all of that's happening because of the macro trends in the industry um, that continue to drive our growth. Okay, so let's say what happens. So many people are talking about recession every day. I mean, there's a period where it's been very hard to get people, and I think that progeny would be a fantastic benefit to attract people. Do you think that progeny will work the other way, be something that will be cut back if there are too many people looking for too few jobs? Yeah, it's a great question and one that we get regularly from investors. What we're seeing and what we experience is not that at all. So family building is a very important part of people's lives, and employers recognize that. And uh, let's take first, for example, our existing base of clients. Um, we've retained 99% of them, and none of them cut the benefit back at all for next year. And in fact, a third of them added something to the benefit. Um, and when you take the new clients that we signed on, the 105 new clients for next year, half of them are companies that were already offering the benefit in some form, but the other half weren't offering it at all. So to the extent that they have concerns around uh, a looming recession, um, they feel it's more important to offer this benefit because this is one in five benefits that millennials are looking for based on benefit consultant studies that are published out there. All right, and one last thing, I want to be sure uh, this is not just something for uh, uh, so-called men and women. It's uh, same sex, too. Right. I mean, you the gay and lesbian community is treated equally uh, by progeny. Yeah. Progeny from the start, even before it became popular, was always an all inclusive benefit. So um, definitely covers gay and lesbian couples, covers heterosexual couples, covers single moms by choice covers all people that may have different challenges, whether they need to use surrogate, adoption, et cetera. It's a full family building benefit that covers your entire population. And it's one of the other unique things that we do versus all traditional health plans. And listen, there was a, a short selling report that was 
about some sort of accounting change. Frankly, I took two years of accounting, and I didn't really understand what you did wrong, if you did anything wrong at all. But uh, was there anything that you needed to do in response with the SEC or anything after that report came out? Um, nothing. And, and I, uh, you know, you're referring to the report that came out, as you said, from an anonymous short seller that quoted anonymous people. Um, and I would just say I wouldn't give credence to any of the report. Um, we haven't. Well, I'm glad you wouldn't because it makes no sense to do so when someone obviously is short and does not necessarily prove the case very well. And I'm a student viewer of what people could say things that are wrong. And to me, I didn't see you do anything wrong at all. I want to thank Peter Anevsky. He's the CEO of Progeny, which I think is a great company with a great concept. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. We appreciate it so much. Have a good day. Very good. Mad Money's back there. Great. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, tell me the lightning round, kids. I'm going to start with Brett, New York. Brett! Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am doing well, Brett. How about you? Pretty good. My question is CVNA, Carvana. Where do you no, see this? No, it's like an option. Going? It's an option. It's too hard for me. I think you can go up, you know, a point and down three. Uh-huh. We're looking for high quality situations here. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, has this company tapped X on the controller one time too many? Kramer's takeaways from GameStop's conference call. Next. That's the only word that comes to mind when I read GameStop's quarterly conference call from, from last night. Now, look, if you don't know GameStop, it's a money-losing video game retailer that peaked ages ago because nobody buys this stuff in person anymore. That's why the stock was shorted, shorted, then shorted again by some hedge funds that believed that GameStop had no business staying in business, being in business. It wasn't a business. But then the stock, oh, it became a battleground. When the Wall Street bets crew, they love me, so I'm well, well aware of them. The self-described apes decided they could make a fortune by deliberately breaking the shorts. It was short busting like I've never, ever seen. And initially, they pulled it off. At the beginning of last year, they took GameStop to the moon with the stock rallying to over $480 before crashing back to earth as the short squeeze abated. Since then, it's had a four-for-one split, so when you adjust for that, it peaked at around $120. It's now at around 24 change. Now, that's the tail of the tape. Of course, the bull thesis here never had anything to do with the underlying company. It was divorced from it. It was all about whether a concerted effort could be made to start and build on a short squeeze. Yes, what they wanted to do was bust the darn shorts, and they succeeded. Now, though, it's been nearly two years. The short sellers are no longer dumb enough to bunch up in a single high-profile stock. They're not making themselves easy targets anymore. So we have to care about the fundamentals. When you look at the actual numbers, GameStop's really not doing that well. The company lost hundreds of millions of dollars over the past four quarters. Revenue's down 8.5% in the most recent quarter. Headcount reduction's coming. No mention during the conference call about their big deal announced in September with Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX for gift cards. 
That deal ended two months later when FTX collapsed under the weight of its own alleged fraud. No mention of GameStop's Bafo NFT marketplace. I looked at it today. Really quite exceptional. Of course, why, why would they ever do that? Uh, why would they ever talk about anything less than positive, given that they don't take any questions on their conference call? That's right, no questions. No mention of Chairman Ryan Cohen, the supposed savior, a big-time hedge fund manager who allegedly called the shots here. So no opportunity to ask him about the $68 million he pocketed on the backs of the, of the faithful when he bought and sold Bed Bath & Beyond. Cohen's not even on the call. Instead, we get some compelling rhetoric from CEO Matt Furlong. He indicated the company has plenty of money to burn. A little over a billion bucks. Acquisitions could be in store. GameStop has no debt except a, a credit facility from France, which did make me wonder quizzically if Macron's a gamer. Furlong closed out his nine-minute soliloquy with a spiel about getting to profitability. And I quote, this path carries risk and is taking time, but it is the path we are on, end quote. Genuine homespun wisdom. Now, maybe you're reassured by that kind of statement, but I just don't see it. I found absolutely nothing encouraging the results of the conference call. Yet the stock did soar 11% today because, again, the rabid shareholders are back. The buyers who despise me when I ripped out my catheter at the hospital and called in to say, sell, sell, sell. Those people are in control still. They managed to destroy some short sellers again. And at least for the moment, that's all that mattered to the stock. Not anything related to GameStop's viability as a business. Two words for this, Jim. Caveat and empter. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find just a few right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Craver. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.